All right, folks, thank you so much. Uh, we're wet, ready to uh, get into a special music just before the message. Paul Hartman is going to come at this time and uh, share a message in song.
that we would not see these freedoms slip from us. So it's important for us to recognize that and to celebrate it and understand that, uh, that our young people, our children, need to know how important these freedoms have been and are to us that we have been given. Uh, but with our national freedom that we have and independence, I'm always thinking about the dependence that we have as believers upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not independent of God. We must depend upon Him constantly. It was Jesus that said in, in John uh, chapter 5 about the vine and, and branches uh, He was talking about. And in that in verse 5, He said, For without me, you do nothing. John 15, 5. For without me, you can do nothing. Uh, we're also told in Psalm 127, 1, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. And all of it speaks to the part that says that we are to rely upon the Lord. We're to be dependent upon Him. For if He is not the one involved, then we're wasting our time. It's in vain of what we're trying to do. If we're trying to do it in our own power, out of our own motivation. Attempting to do anything that way is uh, vain. The song I've sung before that I love states that so plainly, not in the might of failing flesh and not in my own righteousness, not in my strength, but thine alone I carry on. We are not to be trying to carry on in this life apart from depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. Uh, God, to Zerubbabel, when he was going back to rebuild the temple in Israel, told him in Zechariah 4.6, that it's not by your might or by your power, but it's by my spirit, God said. And that's exactly the truth. It's not by might or power that we may have, it's by God's spirit that we're to, to depend upon. So spiritual dependence is one of the first things that I think of when I think about uh, our national freedom and the 4th of July. The second thing that came across my mind uh, before and, and uh, this week too is a play on um, a uh, phrase out of Star Wars. Uh, May the fourth be with you. <laughs> play on the fourth. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Um, I want you to understand something. First of all, Star Wars is a movie. It's not real. The force is not real. But in a loose comparative way, we could say that that force could represent the Holy Spirit of God. He is real. And His working in our lives is real. And whereas in Star Wars, the force supposedly was there to help guide or to strengthen or to defend against the enemy attack, uh, the Holy Spirit of God has that effect in our life, or that work in our life, as the Holy Spirit is given to us at salvation and dwells us, and He guides us into all truth. He has strengthened us to do the work in which we are to do. It's not by our might, but it's by His Spirit. And He also helps defend us against the attacks of Satan. That's what we've been discussing in our mini-series that we've started dealing with the armor of God and the necessity of putting on that whole armor that we can stand against the different temptations and attacks that the devil through his demons send our way. 
We know that that goes on. We know it's real. We know it's happening right now in this room. Satan's demons are right here amongst us. But so is God's Spirit. And greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And we know that we can have the victory. But we've got to make the choices and we've got to take the action. And one of the things that I ask for you to do as we sit in the service of worship such as this, to hear the word of truth spoken into us, is to say, Lord, help me not to be a distraction to anyone. Help me not to be distracted by anyone. Help me not to be distracted by anything. But may I give my entire whole attention unto what you're going to share with me today. So that's what we need to do to begin with. In the Star Wars also, uh, uh, we need to understand that the Force, even though it's not real, it represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always around us, always with us, always in us. It's there to help us. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. Uh, in Rogue One, the Star Wars story, there was a man that uh, I guess he thought he was a Jedi or whatever, and, and he would repeat, uh, the Force is with me and I'm with the Force, the Force is with me and I'm with the Force, the Force is with me and I'm with the Force. I guess he thought that was some magical thing that was going to help him. Uh, evidently it did in some kind of regards. But at the same time, the last part of that statement, I am with the Force, I want you to pick up in just a moment here as we think about the Holy Spirit of God. How are we with the Holy Spirit of God? We know the Holy Spirit of God is with us. He is with us. But how are we with the Holy Spirit of God? <clears throat> in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it describes a war, a battle that's going on. It says that, uh, that we are in a, uh, a battle within us, with our flesh. In verse uh, 17, let me see, excuse me there, Burton, perhaps I got over in Galatians. In uh, verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. There's a battle going on between my flesh and the Holy Spirit of God. And that battle continues to rage, and it's like the dog fight I've explained before, used as the illustration. Depending on what dog you feed, is going to benefit the one that wins the battle. That's the strongest, that's the loudest. And if we're speeding our spirit, our spirit through the Word of God, that is benefiting to listen to the Spirit saying, hey, don't do that. If we're feeding the flesh through all kinds of inroads in our lives, then our flesh is going to be yelling, yeah, you want this, yeah, you want this. And we're not going to be listening to the Spirit. That's the battle that goes on. So he says in the previous verse, in verse 16, this I say, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And in verse 18, to be led by the Spirit. <clears throat> we are to walk in the Spirit, we are to be led by the Spirit. And then over in Ephesians chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, verse 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, it's all talking about the same thing. It's being with the Spirit. It's letting the Spirit have control. Because he says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of the alcohol. But be under the influence of the Spirit. And so, in order for me to be under the influence, or you to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, you must yield yourself to Him. 
You must surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit of God and let Him lead you, control you, guide you. That is where we are with the force, if you will, the Holy Spirit of God. So these are a couple things that I thought about, and it goes along with our need to have the armor of God in this mini-series that we're talking about. We've seen several of them, and today we're going to sing in verse 15 of, of Ephesians 6, and we're to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Father, I pray that you would help us to listen very carefully and for me to be able to share very clearly the truth of your word and the needs that we have and what it means to us and what we are to do in light of this information. That we may be able to leave out of here today better equipped, better prepared with your armor to withstand the temptations that come our way and to stand firm without losing ground. May you allow this to take place in our lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We've seen so far two of the pieces of armor that have been given. I want to back up and just give us the context of what we've been talking about. Beginning in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, not just pick and choose what pieces, but all of it together, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles, there's this tricky schemes that he sends our way. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a physical battle, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual battle that goes on with these ranks of demonic angels that it's talking about that the devil uses to bring temptations our way. Wherefore, because this is true, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We ask the question, when is that evil day? Well, it was just today. It was tomorrow. It's today. It's any day that Satan continues to reign and to be the prince of the power of the air, and that's what he is in this world right now. But we know... I'll say this again a little later. But we know the end of the story. We know that our God has the victory. And so keep that in mind and understand where this goes. So he says that we are to withstand and to stand. Stand therefore, verse 14, having the, your loins girt about with truth, having the belt of truth you looked at, and having the breastplate, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and then your feet shod with the shoes of peace. So we, we saw that with the belt of truth, it was a readiness with God's truth. His is the only truth that is there. And it, uh, we learned that truth it is always more than just the facts. It's not just the words that are truthful, but it's what you're trying to convey with that. You can tell, the, say, the truthful words, but in a way it's trying to convey something that's not true. And so we are to be truthful, not just in facts, but in the intent and the purpose of what we're trying to convey. Second, we learn that truth has already been predetermined by God. It's not my truth or your truth, but it's His truth. It's the only truth there is, and His Word is true. And thirdly, we noted that what's true of you on the inside needs to be true of you on the outside. 
If you believe the truth of the gospel, if you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the next thing is we must learn the truth of God's Word so that we can obey that truth, do that truth in front of others, demonstrate that truth in front of them. So that's the, the belt of truth, readiness with the truth of God's Word. We saw the breastplate of righteousness in the last part of verse 14 involves both the, our positional righteousness. When we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I am placed in the body of Christ. I am in position uh, as one of His in Christ. The devil cannot do anything about my positional righteousness. When I trust Christ as Savior, as a sinner, God removes my sin out of my account, deposits the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am justified. I am declared righteous. It means, and, and the Satan cannot change that fact. I'm a child of God. And there's nothing he can do to change it. So he doesn't attack our positional righteousness. He attacks our practical righteousness. The way that we live and behave. That's what he is working on. And he works on my, in my life and in yours. Our doing what is right in front of others. He uses the inroads of our senses, primarily that of our sight and of our hearing, but he uses those things to get into our mind. And so the breastplate of righteousness was over from the neck to the waist and protected the vitals of the heart and of the bowels. The heart represented what? Our mind, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's more than just the mind, but it's primarily the mind because that is where the battle is in the spiritual life. The majority of the temptations that you face and the victory or the defeats that you will experience will take place first in your mind before it ever comes to an action. And so the battle in the spiritual realm is primarily a mental battle. And we're either going to be renewing our mind with the Word of God, or we're going to be exposing our mind to the things of this world, and what we do with our mind is going to, uh, going to affect which one of those dogs wins the battle, so to speak, and we're going to have victory or we're going to suffer defeat. And so it's important for us to recognize that we must guard our heart, our mind, and we must guard our emotions, the other part, because our emotions uh, determine our affections. And therefore, God said, set your affections on things above, those things that are going to last, not on the temporary things of this world. So we, we saw the belt of truth in, in the uh, breastplate of righteousness. So now, what is this shoes of peace? Well, I want you to understand, first of all, the function of these shoes. It says there in verse 15, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod just means putting on the shoes. Okay? So, first of all, the function of shoes. Originally, shoes had two purposes, two functions. One was protection. Uh, one of the things that Vicki and I noticed, I noticed primarily when I was over in Israel back in the 97, 98, somewhere in there, uh, we had the opportunity to go over. And uh, as I looked over the land, one of the things that came to my attention was how rugged 
the land was. There were many of the fields out there that they would use to plant uh, uh, their crops, but you would find these wall rocks around these little fields out there, pastures up you may say. And the reason was, they, before they could have a field, they had to clear all of the rock out of it, rock about this big or so, and they would just pile them up around the edge and it became a stone wall around the uh, fields. <clears throat> but if you did not clear it, if you were just walking out there, there were rock everywhere. It was rugged ground to walk on. And so if you did not have protection for your feet, you could hurt your feet very easily. Well, for a soldier, we're talking about the armor of God, we're talking about the illustration of a soldier. If a soldier hurt his feet, then he wasn't going to be able to be a soldier. He would either have to be left behind, or if he continued on and tried to do battle, he was going to be at a disadvantage and be able to be killed very easily. And so the shoes were there to, first of all, protect the feet. And then secondly, it was for stability. The soldiers wore these sandals that had what they called hobnobs in them. We would understand them as cleats. <laughs> An athlete would wear either soccer or football. Back when I was in high school, I played football. And we were allowed in those days <laughs> to have real cleats. I mean, these were some that were about a little over an inch uh, long. If we, and we, they, they screwed in and out. So if we were going to be on a muddy uh, uh, game or a sandy field, we would put in these long cleats uh, out there in our shoes. If we were going to be on a dry, hard day, we would have on the shortest cleats. But they were real cleats. They weren't these rubber things uh, that were out there. And um, we would get out there. And the reason that we had on cleats, and I think the best, as I looked at this, the best illustration would be uh, the offensive line on pass defense. Uh, you know, the offensive line in running, when the staff is made, they can hit that guy and push them on down the field to make room for their tailback to come through with the, with the run. But on pass defense, you don't push the guy down the field. You come up and you are defending your quarterback and not letting anybody to come through or no one to push you back into the quarterback. To do that, you've got to have balance. You've got to have stability. And it was those cleats that helped give that stability. If I would have been out there in tennis shoes and the other guy in cleats, and he starts pushing on me, I'm going to be sliding back. I'm losing my foot. I'm going to be off balance. And I'll be no good. The same thing is true for this illustration of the purpose of these shoes that we were going to have is so that we may have stability. We may stand firm uh, so that we can withstand the attack, the onslaught of the spiritual enemy that is coming our way. So there is protection, there is stability, therefore we can conclude that being, it is being properly prepared to withstand and to stand. Now that's the function of shoes. Let's look at the function of these particular shoes. These are the shoes of the gospel of peace. Well, first of all, what it does not mean. Some people have said that it means proclaiming the gospel, and it comes out of Romans 10, where in verse 13 it says, And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14 it says, 
but how shall they call on him in whom they have not uh, uh, believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer? And then it goes on to say in verse 15, And how shall they preach or proclaim there except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Well, there it is. It must be the gospel of peace. The preach, how beautiful are the feet. Oh, it's out of all together. It must be talking about preaching the gospel of peace uh, to the lost people in the world. Except one thing. What's the context of what God is talking about here to us? It's not about preaching to the lost world being witnessed. But he's talking about withstanding the onslaught of the spiritual attacks that come our way. So it's not talking about proclaiming the gospel, but it's talking about something else. What does it mean? Well, the gospel of peace, the gospel means the good news, the good news of peace is what we want to look at and what we want to consider. I came across a definition I think is great for the word peace or what it means. Peace is an inner calmness in the midst of life troubles because of the confidence that God is with you and in control of your circumstances. I'm going to say that again. It's a lot, but I believe it really defines what peace means. An inner calmness in the midst of life's troubles because of a confidence that God is with you and in control of your circumstances. That's exactly what peace is. Now, when we look at the good news, the gospel of peace, there are three things that I want you to see that there's great news about peace that we can have in this particular aspect of what God provides. The first one is that we are at peace with God as our Savior. Now, this is only true if, uh, if you have made a choice to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Uh, no one just automatically has this peace with God. No one has always had this peace with God. It is a choice that you make. I've talked to some people before, this is talking about witnessing. I've talked to some people in witnessing to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll make statements like, well, I've always believed in God. Seriously. And you came out of the womb. I know what they're saying is, I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't believe in God. Well, I can accept that. I mean, that's true of me. Uh, I remember my parents uh, taking me to church when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper and, um, and couldn't stay uh, awake during the preaching time. I uh, would go to sleep on the second pew of the church. And, uh, I mean, my whole life I've been in church. But I haven't been saved my whole life. My whole life I believed that I know of that I believed in God, but I haven't been saved all my life. I didn't get saved until I was 13 years of age. You know what happened when I was 13? My eyes of understanding were opened. And for the first time I realized that I personally had to make a choice to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. It didn't just automatically happen. I had been baptized. I was part of a church membership. All of these things have been, have been brought into my life, but I was not saved. If I would have died at age 12, I'd be in hell today. 
But it's when I realized that I had to trust Christ. I hope you come to that. But I'm talking right now that every one of us that have made that choice to receive Jesus Christ, we have been made to be at peace with our God, with our Father. We have peace with Him. We're told in Romans 5, 1, being justified by faith. That justification means uh, He is made just as if I had never sinned. He's declared me righteous. They talked about my salvation. Being saved, we could say, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have peace with God because I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have been made in a right standing with Him. I've been reconciled with God. And so that's the peace that we can have. First of all, the good news is that, that I have been made at peace with God. I am at peace with Him. We are in a right standing. And that confidence is what brings peace. Number two, there's something else of good peace. And that is that we are at peace with, we can be at peace with difficult choices in our life. All of us have choices that we have to make. Some of them are just little daily choices. But some of them are a little bit bigger. Here recently, some of our seniors in high school were making decisions about what college they were going to go off to what career they were going to be uh, getting into. And there's some just recently in our church that made decisions about who they were going to marry and uh, spend the rest of their life with, I hope. And uh, there, there are other choices that go. And I know that uh, for a fact there were some of our seniors that were really wrenching a little bit over some of the decisions they were having to make and wanted to make sure they were making the right choices because it was going to have such a great impact upon their future. Well, in those choices, God says there's a way to have peace. There's a way to know. It's found in Colossians 3 and verse 15. Just a few pages over to the right there. Colossians 3 and verse 15. The first part of the verse says, And let the peace of God, here we go with peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now the word rule the Greek word is the word that means uh, to umpire. Now, all of you are familiar with what an umpire is, whether in soccer or in baseball. An umpire makes the call. It's a strike. It's a ball. It's a foul ball. The guy's out. The runner's safe. He has the final word. The umpire does. And that's what it means here. Let the peace of God have the final word in your life. How does that work? when it comes to choices. I remind you of my testimony that I gave years ago uh, concerning when I was a teenager, a senior in high school, and I was thinking about, Lord, what do you want for me to do with my life? I've been taught, you know, my life is, is like a blank sheet of paper, and uh, I'm not to say, Lord, these are my plans, will you sign it and agree to this? Uh, but I was to sign it and say, here's this blank piece of paper, Lord, I'm willing, whatever you want to fill in. Uh, all right, that was my heart. I wanted to know, Lord, what do you want from me? And, and as I looked, you know, I felt like God had given me an interest in uh, accounting. Uh, I liked working with figures. And uh, I was working at a bank. Uh, the vice president of the bank was a member of our church that got me the job. And I was working people's vacation time. So I was working teller. I was working in the mail room. I was working a carrier. I was working in the vault. I was working in the, in the approved department. I was working all kinds of jobs in different places. I got to know a whole lot about the bank. 
And um, I thought, you know, I really enjoy doing this kind of stuff. Maybe you know, this is an indication of what God wants me to do. And so I thought, felt pretty good. The bank uh, vice president told me, he says, hey, when you go off to college, get your degree, come on back, and I got a good job waiting for you. Uh, it all worked out fine. And, and so I applied to Bob Jones University, and I'm going to a Christian college, and, and I, uh, they have one of the best uh, accounting uh, degrees in the country. And, and I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, it just, it just fits. Makes sense. Made the choice. Got accepted by Bob Jones. Something wrong. I kept thinking, this something's not right here. And God started working on me. He says, Randy, I want you in the ministry. I want you in the ministry. And I kept saying, Well, Lord, you know, Bob Jones University trains men to go into ministry. Yeah. I, and if that's really what you want me to do, I can change my major down there. I said, Randy, I want you to minister now. I want you to make the choice. And I kept having that conversation with the Lord, kept putting it off, putting it off. One night, Frank Hammond, my youth pastor, was uh, bringing a devotional. We were at uh, one of the teenagers in our church. The, parent, the parents had opened their home for us to be over there. And uh, uh, after, in the message was taken right out of the Colossians uh, 3.15. Let the peace of God umpire your, your life. And I went to...